what is good divine dolls all right so um i just wanted to hear what they had to say on nbc about clarence thomas to me he is the equivalent of um Uh, the name is going to come to me. I've talked about him before. If it comes up, I will... Comes back to my memory, I will mention it. But, um... You know, I've heard the phrase, the world is watching. And I think that we're at a time and point where we have tried so many things. And now it's time for us to, like, really face reality. I know that a lot of times we say, like, well, maybe... If we put, you know, we if we have black male leadership and we have representation, maybe they'll they'll represent us. Maybe they'll fight for us. Maybe they'll use that chance to to reach back. And so I find it really in- interesting here that it says, and this is MSNBC, y'all. This is a whole non-black media, you know, social station that's like. They have, they have noticed that the, because even they're saying like, how is it that this black guy is, is not even reaching back to his own community? How is it that he's not using his seat to help other people get to where he was and to make a difference and to be that voice and to be that advocate for them, right? That's just wild to me. So I'm going to definitely listen to the one from MSNBC. And then it looks like there's another one here that says, Malignant self-hatred, Dyson slams um, Clarence Thompson concerning concurrence on affirmative action ruling, right? So let's just jump into it. Let's hear what they have to say. The man widely seen as the godfather of artificial intelligence has quit. I was about to say, (laughs) commercial. Artificial intelligence company. Here we go. Good evening, New York. I'm Chris Hayes. Today, in a landmark ruling that overturns decades of president, sweeps aside generations of arguments about racial justice and inequality, the Supreme Court, in a 6-3 decision, six conservatives to the three liberals, effectively got rid of the use of race in college admissions at all, even for the purposes of increasing diversity. In the wake of the decisions, many colleges and universities immediately sent letters to students and alumni outlining how they were going to operate going forward. One such school was the College of the Holy Cross in Massachusetts, which is notable because that is the alma mater of Justice Clarence Thomas, whose decades-long project to destroy affirmative action culminated in a victory today. Now, Thomas did not write the court's majority opinion. That was written by Justice Roberts. He did write a fiery 58-page concurrence denouncing race as a factor in admissions as policies that, and I quote him here, fly in the face of our colorblind constitution. Y'all, listen, listen. (laughs) He is not the first black male. You kind of have to wonder where this information was coming out, where it was coming from. Um, the, the, The black males that I have seen spewing this type of rhetoric were on the younger side. But this is definitely their daddy. This is definitely their daddy because um, here he is talking about race is not an issue. When, if anything, and I've talked about this before, I'm not going to go too much into depth but um, on, on this podcast. But if you've been with me for a while, I talk about how it's so ironic that the very black guys that are saying like, oh, black women are race hustlers. They're always looking for problems, da-da-da-da, when it's black people, like black men, 
that disproportionately are on the short end of the stick when it comes to systematic racism. I've said this to black women before, the same way I'm telling you to pull back on your energy and in, in speaking out for them because they're, they're not going to appreciate it. I'm telling you, like, just back down on this one, too, because at the end of the day, you're the ones that's getting the education. You're the one that's getting the, the houses. You're the ones that are getting the jobs, right? You're the ones that are doing the self-improvement and whatever you can to improve yourself. But, um, yeah, uh, oh, how 85 page letter of concurrence. Let me turn on the, the closed cap captioning on here, too, so that I can, um, pick up the language. Hold on. Fiery 58 page concurrence denouncing race as a factor in admissions as policies that, and I quote him here, fly in the face of our colorblind constitution and our nation's equality ideal. Clarence Thomas did not always think this way. In the late 1960s, when he was at Holy Cross, he was one of just a few dozen black students. What a big coincidence, right? So it was okay when he... And this this reminds me of Candace Owens. You know, let her tell it. It's like, oh, you know, racism is not an issue. Colorblind, this, that, and the third. But part of the reason she even came on the radar is because she had to um, ask the, the NAACP to help her fight, I think it was either her high school or her college, for some affirmative action type thing or for racial discrimination, right? And she won the lawsuit and everything um, because she said that they were discriminating against her for her race. And now it's like you fast forward and she forgot where she came from. And again, so this guy knows what it's like to fight and to be the only black person in the room. But I have found too that it's kind of like, he wants to be the only one in the room. And, and I do have a problem, too, like when they get to an age where they don't really care about the younger generation, you know, that's a problem, y'all. I just I'm, I want to be disappointed. But at this point, it's just another pattern. It's just the same M.O. Quality ideal. Clarence Thomas did not always think this way. In the late 1960s, when he was at Holy Cross, he was one of just a few dozen black students at that college. As Joel Anderson writes for Slate, quote, he got admitted thanks to his good grades and a recommendation from Anon, and maybe in part because the school was actively looking for black students. Mm. It was the 1960s. It was in the wake of the Watts riots. The school had not had many black students, and wow. it went out looking for some. And once he got to Holy Cross, well, Thomas's politics there were downright radical. Wow. He definitely was inspired by the Black Panthers. He dressed like them. He talked like them. Wow. He had a beret. Yeah. It is the audacity for me, y'all. I mean, they, they have pictures of him here. He dressed like them. He talked like them. He had a beret. Wow. He had uh, army fatigues and he had the army boots. Wow. He wore afro. He was out there with everyone else. After completing his undergraduate degree, Thomas was accepted at a number of prestigious law schools, including Harvard, but he chose to attend Yale Law because he believed the campus's liberal politics best aligned with his own. Well, there, however, Thomas wow. became disillusioned with his own status at that elite university. As the New York Times reported back in 1991, Thomas was accepted to Yale as part of the school's explicit affirmative action plan to admit... Wow. Listen, because if MSNBC wasn't going to pull all the receipts... You know, when I'm talking about they pulled his card all the way, 
He was admitted to Yale Law under explicit affirmative action, and here he is on his way out, was supposed to be representing the black community there and to take our decisions and, you know, our impact and to be our advocate and to be our voice. And and this is... <laughs> bit more students of color. But he resented any suggestion that he received any special consideration because of his race. And once he graduated from Yale Law, Thomas blamed his initial inability to find work in the legal profession, not on the fact that many legal institutions and law firms in the 1970s were still redoubts of racism and white supremacy and had racist hiring practices and did not want to hire him, but rather on the belief that his degree had been tainted by the implication of affirmative action. <laughs> he had his Yale Law degree and he had a 10 cent stamp stuck to it. You know, like a 10 cent price tag stuck to it. Because he's like, yeah, this is what it's worth, right? 10 cents, right? No more. Boo hoo. Like, if you look at I just, I can't. Mm -mm. Just... He came to blame affirmative action for the rejection he felt. Now I knew what a law degree from Yale was worth when it bore the taint of racial preference. I was humiliated and desperate. Speaking of perpetual victims, if that don't sound like perpetual victimhood to you, that sounds like the same stuff that they accuse black women of being. It's like one minute it's he needs to get in because he needs to get in under affirmative action. Then after he gets in for, you know, affirmative action, then, oh, it's because it's tainted. And then it's just it's just never ending. Um, I remember what the other guy's name was. It was Clyburn. Clyburn, this reminds me of Candace Owens and Jim Clyburn. Jim Clyburn is the United States representative. Um, and the region that he represents, he is the, he, he serves the 6th District of South Carolina. Um, which I understand is one of the, the poorest districts in the United States. And it's comprised mostly of African Americans. And when they asked um, James... Clyburn about what he thought about reparations he said no and it was as if it didn't matter that those people that are there can benefit the most from reparations and to get the, their families back on track and give them that little shot in the arm and my thing on reparations I've said it before and I'll say it again it's not like it, it's something that's owed right so whether you want to pay it or not that's not that's not up for debate. It is something that's that is owed. If people want to drag their feet, yes, uh, then then that's their, that's on them. But I think that you don't have to live your life to where you're not trying to progress yourself the way that the best way that you can. But at the same time, it's owed. It's just like when you go to put in your forty hours because part of reparations is unpaid labor. And out here in California, it is illegal. And the reason I know this is because my black male boss. Um, withheld my check for me and HR called him. I didn't even know it was against the law, but um, HR called him and told him that he could not withhold my check for me um, because I had worked the hours. Okay. But out here in California, once you work those hours, you can't tell that person, you know, how to spend their money or if they need to pay their car note or their tuition or their mortgage. If they work those hours, you have to pay them. And that's how I view reparations. But in either event, 
James Clyburn said that he was against reparations, even though you would think that part of his understanding would be that he's there to represent his people, to represent the district. Anyways, let's get back to... Um, Oh, Clarence Thomas. Thomas found a job in the office of the conservative Missouri Attorney General John Danforth, who recently told the Slow Burn podcast that he hired Thomas in part because of his race. Oh my, my God. ambition was that the AG's office was to be the best law office in the state. Now, did I also think that it was important to have a diverse office? Yes, I did. And did I think that it would be wonderful to hire Clarence Thomas for that reason? Yes. But the most important reason was I had to get the job done. From there, Thomas Starr continued to rise in conservative legal circles, a rise that, according to his ex-girlfriend, was, again, predicated in part on affirmative action. In 1982, the White House offered Thomas a big promotion, the chance to run his own federal agency. The trouble was, that agency was the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. This was exactly the kind of role Clarence Thomas didn't want, a position focused on race and discrimination. Wow, y'all. Listen to that. That was exactly the kind of role Clarence Thomas didn't want, a position focused on race and discrimination. You know, one of the phrases I learned this year was, um, fish rots from the head down. And so if we don't have black male leaders that want to be associated with the community, you hear this from other, you know, people that have made it. And I, I'm careful about the pocket watching type of thing. But at the same time, if you have black male leadership that are in these type of positions that don't want to be associated with race and discrimination, it's like they think that they can be absolved from that. And I don't know. I feel like. This is just the, the um, like, when, and I'm not going to say her, her name on this one, but if you're with me, you know who it is. She talks about how this is the, the um, something spiritual. It's like the awakening where everybody's being exposed. Everybody's, you know, card is being pulled. And I think his card is definitely being pulled. And again, like, why would MSN? Because listen, let me tell you, NBC don't have to give a damn if this guy is battling affirmative action. It's their system. <laughs> if anything, they're going to be like, yeah, we got, you know, affirmative action, you know, battle against it past, da 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 and just be going about their day and, like, celebrating it. But the fact that they're calling him out, I think, speaks for something. Because MSNBC, being from dominant society, at the end of the day, they, they really don't have to give a damn. <laughs> when I tell you they pulled this card, this man's whole entire card... He says, 1982, White House offered Thomas a big promotion, the chance to run his own federal agency. The trouble was that the agency was Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. This is exactly the kind of role Clarence Thomas did not want. A position focused on race and discrimination. Kind of role Clarence Thomas didn't want. Did a position focused on race and discrimination. He didn't want to be there. He was resentful that he had not been offered something that uh, a white person would want. Thomas was in a bind. He wanted to keep rising in the administration, but he didn't want to rise this way. He didn't want anyone to think that he had gotten a job because he was black. Of course, 
<laughs> every job he had ever gotten was because he was black. <laughs> oh my god, that's his ex-girlfriend. Girl, you dodged the whole entire bullet. Hold on. Clear here. Let me go back up a little bit. He didn't want anyone to think that he had gotten a job because he was black. So his ex-girlfriend is Lillian McEwen. Let me just look her up real quick, y'all. Let me let me just look this up real quick. Give me one second. Cause she sounds black, but I could be wrong. Cause he has a preference for white women, so his his current wife is is black, so Lillian McEwen sounds Let me see. So she has since gone on to become an author. She looks like she could be biracial, but she is kind of like black presenting. Um, yeah, she looks like she could be um, biracial. But you could definitely tell she's ethnic. Let's just put it that way. Um, anyways. Of course. <laughs> Every job he had ever gotten was because he was black. <laughs> I want to be absolutely clear here. No one is saying that Clarence Thomas was unqualified for any of the right. list of jobs. Even right. his critics, his harshest critics of his jurisprudence, will concede, can concede, that he is undoubtedly one of the most, if not the most, important and influential legal minds of his generation. But that mistaken belief that race-based consideration, diversity-based consideration, and some elusive concept of true merit abstracted from that are mutually exclusive is the foundational lie on which today's Supreme Court decision was built. Mm. It was that belief, however, that helped secure Thomas's legal legacy. Thomas was eventually appointed to the D.C. Court of Appeals by President George H.W. Bush, and just two years later, Bush nominated him to the Supreme Court to replace the retiring Justice Thurgood Marshall, at that point, the only black person to ever sit on the nation's wow. highest court. Wow. The president called Thomas the best qualified person for the- And from what I remember of Thurgood Marshall, I remember studying about him when I was in, in school and just that sense of pride. I don't, haven't heard too much about our sentiments about him on the back end, but I, from the, what I do remember about Thurgood Marshall, um, I do have a sense of pride about him. Um, and so this one, it says he was best known for arguing <clears throat> the historic 1954 Brown versus Board of Education in which the Supreme Court declared separate but equal and constitutional in public schools. Um, I don't know, he, he shortened his name. Um, let me see. He was the architect of the legal strategy that ended the country's official policy of segregation and was the first black U.S. Supreme Court justice. Um, let's see what else comes up here about him. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I, unless somebody tells me otherwise, um, collectively, we held Thurgood Marshall in, in high regard. Um, 
And so you can kind of see that they're trying to, because at the end of the day, take it for what it is, right? Take it with a grain of salt. But you hear, like, we will hoot and holler about how white people, this, that, and the third. One, they didn't have to hire black people or, or nominate black people to be um, serve on the, you know, Supreme Court, right? That's one. But even the mere fact of like just replacing one black person with another black person to at least keep them on the bench is kind of like he didn't have to do that either. He could have just washed it all the way out and just been like, oh, let's just put another um, woman, which is another whole other issue, too, because even with the women that are on there, they're not necessarily speaking to the best interests of women either. (laughs) So let me just finish playing this the job and denied that he selected Thomas to replace the retiring Thurgood Marshall because he's black. (laughs) Uh, So much the better, but that is not the factor and I would strongly... Oh my god, okay, I already took the thumbnail for this picture, but if you go to the six minute mark, look at who's big mad. Like, if I had to put a title, it'd be like George W. No, W was the son. George Bush nominates Clarence Thomas to the Supreme Court and guess who's big mad and if you look at the picture he's like you can see the steam coming out of his ears (laughs) oh my god selected Thomas to replace the retiring Thurgood Marshall because he's black and the fact he's minority uh, so much the better but that is not the factor and I would strongly resent uh, any charge that might be forthcoming on quotas when it relates to appointing the best man to the court. Okay, so, but I, I'm just going to play it one more time because was it Clarence Thomas that thinks that he was selected because he was black? Because George, I mean, George Bush just said, just said that even though he is black, that's not like the overarching thing. I don't know. And then some people are going to be like, yeah, he said that, but that's just politics and that's not really what he meant. But I mean... At the same time, if he really wanted to, he could just put in another white man. And if you want to get into gender type of thing, you know, that would have been a time for him to put a woman. And so at the end of the day, let me let me just I just wanted to clarify this. Hold on. Nation's highest court. The president called Thomas the best qualified person for the job and denied that he selected Thomas to replace the retiring Thurgood Marshall because he's black. And the fact he's minority, uh, so much the better. But that is not the factor, and I would strongly resent uh, any charge that might be forthcoming. On oh, he was mad. Like his eyes, like he, he started to clench his jaw. This, this has been irritating him, this man, for years, y'all. You can see it on his face if you get a chance to look at it. Like he is pissed. Quotas when it relates to appointing the best man to the court. Again, same thing here. Thomas was both qualified for the position on the court, as were probably several dozen folks, maybe more. He was also nominated due to the obvious political motivations in replacing the nation's first black justice, Thurgood Marshall. Right. During his confirmation hearings, Thomas was asked about his own vocal opposition to affirmative action. The question is directly in the entry to Yale. Were you part of an affirmative action? (laughs) (laughs) These people are messing with him. (laughs) Oh my 
gosh. I'm probably going to. Oh, my gosh. Oh. I'm entering that law school. Um, Senator, I have uh, not during my adult life or during my academic career been a part of any quota. Uh, the effort on the part of Yale during my years there was to reach out and open its doors to minorities whom it felt were qualified. Uh, and I took them uh, at their word on that. Um, and I have advocated that very kind of affirmative action. Just think about that moment for a second, right? Wow. Now, having seen some of this man's trajectory in his body, right, right, right. the right. thing he hates more than anything right. that wounds his pride, that enrages him, right. is to be... And, and I, you see how I noticed it? This guy is saying the same thing too. I'm, I'm telling you, if you get a chance to watch it, this guy, he's saying it. He's like, you could tell that like what wounds his pride. You can see it. You can hear it. And here he is. He's saying it, right? Just think about that moment for a second, right? Now, having seen some of this man's trajectory in his bio, right? The thing he hates more than anything right. that wounds his pride, that enrages him is to be viewed as being less than or not qualified as being an affirmative action case. And yet at every key juncture in his life, he's asked about it. Right. Over and over again. And for Thomas and the conservative majority in the court, it all boils down again to this nebulous concept of merit, of qualified, who is deserving of opportunities and who's not. Mm. But I think that misses the point. It's really a question about what kinds of institutions and really what kind of society we want to have. Do we want a society in which people like Clarence Thomas from the small town of Pinpoint, Georgia, just several generations removed from slavery and Jim Crow, mm -hmm. are selected, nurtured, and encouraged, or ones in which they don't go to Holy Cross, and they don't go to Yale, and they don't end up in the courts. And instead, those schools and those institutions pick more sailing team members and legacies. Right. One of the things we saw today, and we saw a lot, we're going to talk about it, was a brilliant man who was able to overcome centuries of institutionalized prejudice, who was able to come from the most unlikely of backgrounds with the help of a system designed to accomplish just that turn around and pull the ladder up behind wow he saved that last part was he able to climb up and then pull the ladder up behind him they don't have to use this language they don't they don't have to come out here and be like hey excuse me sir you benefited from this thing, this this thing that we have in the system. Yes, it is our system. Yes, it's dominant system. But we put something in there because at the end of the day, white people can do whatever the hell they want to. If they didn't want to have affirmative action in the first place, you better believe they wouldn't. Right. And so is it the full resolution? Absolutely not. But they have the, the one person there. They try to replace the black person with another black person. And they're talking about what it means for other people to be able to get their education, right? And so in, because he resents this so freaking much, it's like, forget all of the other people who are coming up behind him, all the other young men that are coming up behind him who really need this, all the young women that are coming up, the people that are in his community. It's so selfish, so self-centered, you know, it's just a tragedy. But listen to this again. Listen to this. With the help of a system designed to accomplish just that, turn around and pull the ladder up behind. Boom, y'all. Um, I'm not going to go into the other video. Um, if you want to, you're going to see it on the thumbnail there. 
But yeah, just people disappointed with this um, Clarence Thomas character. At this point, am I surprised? No, I think that it explains a lot that's been happening to the community and why we have some of the issues that we do. Um, I I am of the opinion right now that me turning a blind eye to this is not the solution. Um, I'm still going to be out here learning how to trade. I'm still going to be reaching back into the community to, to help other people in the best way that I can. And I'm still going to be, you know, powerhousing it for my niece and that type of thing and those coming behind me. Because obviously, depending on these type of people is not the solution. But at the same time, you know, just how you have with politicians, you better believe if this was like, a, you know, Hispanic or Latino or Asian, you better trust and believe that they are going to make sure that every single one of their constituents are going to get the best advantages. Right. So it's just unfortunate. I think we highlight it from different <clears throat> Angles. I'm going to say this. Um, it's not, I think that for black men right now, the conversations are not fun at all. They're not fun at all because their cards are getting pulled, right? There's exposure going on to who they really are, how they've been behaving. And it would be one thing if it was a black media that was kind of us holding him accountable. But the fact that MSNBC got a whole segment on this, they got 5.76 million subscribers. 160,000 people have viewed this in the past three days. You know? Look at this. It is sad to see those who have themselves benefit from positive affirmation actions can turn their back on it. Um, people like Clarence Thomas are easier to manipulate because... They want to be part of the club and they will go to any lengths to get in. This one says he's totally confused. If he didn't want to be aligned with affirmative action, he should have turned down Supreme Court appointment. Exactly. I think so, too. I was thinking the same thing, too. But, you know. Um, this person says Anita Hill was was correct about Clarence Thomas. Right. Um, and so it's interesting how things come full circle. Like if we didn't, if we didn't understand what was going on back then, like there's no excuse in 2023. And because a, a leopard will never change its spots, we are dealing with the same animal, the same beast, the same themes. It's just like, how it's, how is each generation going to choose to respond to it? You know? Because he's basically at this point showing his ass over and over and over again. <laughs> and at some point you're going to recognize that there's hair there. And that if wherever there's a fart, there's poop coming. But anyways, I'll talk to y'all later. Bye.